Exactly what it is. Kryptonite. Truth is kryptonite. And the thing is, why are we getting skewed truth? We just need it straight out. So I'm sorry for the delay. I have been working on a lot of things and have to go in person to a lot of places. And I'm a little bit exhausted from running around and having so much that I'm working on trying to catch up because I was down in August. So I was thinking of not doing a show today, but I thought it would be important to at least provide some, how do I say, I don't want to say insight, but we need to talk about this invisible enemy. While viruses are invisible, while systemic plagues are invisible, while many things can be claimed as invisible, the actual enemy that is invisible something a lot of people don't think of. See, I've, I've said this many, many times before. There are very few things that I fear. Actually, I fear nothing. If you put down to the core of it, I fear nothing. Because the ultimate thing, usually, that people fear is death. And that's not something I fear. But if you're able to write down what you're actually in fear of, like I could say I'm in fear of spiders, but if push comes to shove, they're dead. You know, I may not like them, And if I'm alone with them, it's done, right? Fear is the first, foremost, and always the reason that someone doesn't reach their goals or objectives. Fear. That is your invisible enemy. Now, fear comes in many shapes and forms. It doesn't just mean the fear you feel when you come across spiders or, you know, things that make you go, you know, things that go bump in the night or things that make you feel icky. That's not fear. That's not in its totality. A lot of things and all your fears are projections from all those around you. You have fears of being laughed at, mocked, being called small, tiny, stupid, dumb, pedestrian. These are all projections from your surroundings. Your surroundings are the ones that guide you into fear. Either that be fear of ridicule or fear of whatever they tell you. That stops us from achieving our goals, the people around you. So it's important that you surround yourself by people that want to progress and to listen to those that provide provide tools of progression. The one thing I'm tired of is people talking about what happened. Talking, oh, this happened. We know it was a coup, right? It was a coup and these people took over the nation. It was a coup. And all these leaders you invested trust in, sans President Trump, because what was he supposed to do? Everyone that he employed failed him. But I can tell you all of them became rich. Everyone made money. You all go around watching every single one of them. You applaud them. But we don't see solutions. 
Solutions, solutions, solutions. No matter how many times I've tried to bring solutions to the table, there's always someone that wants to monetize or make money off of it rather than provide solutions. Thanks, JP. <laughs> Thank you for the rant. I'll rent my rant right now. That's my problem. There aren't a lot of people coming to the table to have conversations that discuss solutions. Oh, they stole them like this. Okay, so who cares? Who are you going to tell? Are you going to tell a judge? But they did this. And who are you going to tell? A judge? But they did that. Who are you going to tell? Who's going to fix it for you? So you've got all the evidence. Who's going to fix it for you? See, one thing I learned, and this is how you learn, by acting and failing, there's never, you know, some, a very smart person that I admire today said to me, good businessmen never have businesses that succeed all the time. They have a lot of failures under their belt. Through all the strategies and attempts that I've tried and with whatever capacity I had, they constantly, I wouldn't say failed, but demonstrated that they were the wrong avenue. Either I had someone that was not interested in winning, but interested in becoming famous next to me, or I had someone that found a way to make money off of whatever I wanted to do. And as I assessed the situation and, 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 and pondered on it for a bit, I realized that you know, what I just told you about this invisible enemy, fear, which is your invisible enemy. God damn. You know, you need to cut things that are toxic out. People that are looking to monetize on you or the people. People that are looking to get their one-trick pony and become famous are the problem. People that uh, want to take what you have and just do trade shows and have you pay for tickets and come watch them wa talk about all the problems. Come and watch us talk because we'll tell you what the problem is. Bottom line is there was a coup. Finished. But the coup happened. Nobody gives a shit. There was a coup. So how do we fix it? How do we fix anything in this nation? Can you fix anything? Right now, how can you fix anything? You can't. Your elections are rigged. You can't even vote them out. So, why are we still talking about how they did it rather than solutions? Well, last weekend, I, I met with a few people where we discussed solutions few people that have always been in my, I guess, circle. But I never had that conversation. I had the conversation now because I realized people like that want solutions. It's about to get really hot. Really hot. There's something that I need that I'm reaching out to a few people within our communities for. Um, 
I took a while because I was on the phone trying to get my hands on something. I found something on eBay. I just spent $500, but I need it for what we're going to do. Solutions, solutions, solutions. That's key. The solution to everything. There's no more talking. There's no more of this, let's see. It was done and they've done it. Nobody wants a solution. Now, we talked about getting rid of the machines. And um, I've had extensive conversations over a year with many attorneys. And people that I paid to just be my consultants, you'll be surprised what big lefties actually consulted. As long as you pay them, they will consult. (laughs) It turns out the courts aren't going to help us. So I needed to find a way that we can dovetail this in without the courts. Successfully, there is one strategy, one strategy that cannot, they can't pivot, they can't move. It's almost like it's the foundation of their very existence. And therefore, hmm. And it all boils into money. Everyone's talking about the money. The government's broke. What if I told you that if we make this pivot, we can save ourselves, wait, according to this Harvard paper, let me pull this up, so I can get an accurate number from this Harvard paper. $4 trillion. I mean, that would cut our national debt by $4 trillion, which is now almost $32 trillion. That's better than 32 Wow, $4 trillion for elections. I see, I have to say that Joe, being a businessman himself, said something to me, and I realized just how smart he is when he approaches things, something I didn't think of. I just thought, this, 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 this. Well, maybe this. Now, I can't say much right now, but you'll see it happen. But I believe fear is what everyone is experiencing right now, and I would say it's well-warranted. It's well-warranted. But that's only because you're surrounded by people that tell you, there's no way out, we're all dead, we're going to all be in FEMA camps, we're going to war. We're not there yet. There's nothing in this world you can't fix. There's nothing you cannot fix. But I guess sometimes it has to be done that way in order to demonstrate the resiliency of the people and taking it back down to the simple task of finding solutions rather than discussing problems, which has been onerous. In the meantime... I wanted to give you guys a little bit of an update. Let me see, where are we? Did it like continue here? It did. Give me a second. I need to go back. I have a... Where'd it go? Did it go back? Hold on. I need to play a clip for you and I want you guys to listen to it very carefully. 
remember how we sent letters about clemency. Well, it's important you hear this. Because this is quite fascinating. And I was kind of shocked that no one picked this up. Let me start it from here. This is Garland talking. Merrick Garland was testifying at the Senate Judiciary Committee. Here we go. It is concerning to me when you show up at the home of a public official, you're sending the message of implicit violence. You're sending the message, we know where you sleep. We know where you and your family are most vulnerable. And it's very concerning to me. I assume you're aware of the uh, overly aggressive arrest and prosecution of Mark Houck, who's a pro-life uh, activist and uh, father of seven uh, in Philadelphia, based on the fact that he had, had pushed a, uh, a protester, a protester uh, who, or, or a, a Planned Parenthood escort, rather, as, as he was uh, demonstrating outside of uh, a, an area in the Philadelphia region. He pushed this person after this person got in the face of his 12-year-old son and was yelling vile, insulting, demeaning, implicitly threatening things, uh, denigrating his father, denigrating uh, his faith, and yelling vile, sexually suggestive things to his 12-year-old son. So he shelved him. And... Um, uh, then, uh, before they knew it, uh, Mr. Houck was facing FACE Act prosecutions. Uh, a highly militarized group of uh, DOJ law enforcement showed up to enforce a warrant. They showed up at uh, about 7 a.m. on a Friday morning. And uh, as, his, as Houck's wife put it, a SWAT team of about 25 came to my house with about 15 vehicles and started pounding on the door and then had about five guns pointed at my husband, myself, and basically my kids. Um, this concerns me. Um, you know, Mr. Houck ended up facing these charges, and not surprisingly, the jury acquitted him of that. I was just wondering how, how it doesn't seem justifiable to me to have that overwhelming show of force for conduct like that. Uh, in the meantime, in 2022 and for the first couple of months of 2023, DOJ has announced charges against 34 individuals for blocking access to or vandalizing abortion clinics. And there have been over 81 reported attacks on pregnancy centers, 130 attacks on Catholic churches since the leak of the Dobbs decision, and only two individuals have been charged. So how do you explain this disparity uh, by reference to anything other than politicization of what's happening there? The FACE Act applies equally to uh, efforts to um, uh, damage, uh, blockade uh, um, 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 clinics, whether a pregnant uh, uh, resource, uh, whether they are a pregnancy resource center uh, or whether they are an abortion center. It applies equally in both cases, and we apply the law equally. Um, I will say you are quite right. There are many more prosecutions with respect uh, to the um, um, blocking of the uh, um, of the abortion centers, but that is generally because they are, those actions are taken in, uh, with photography at the time, um, uh, during the daylight, and uh, seeing the person who did it is uh, quite easy. Um, the, those who are attacking the pregnancy resources centers, uh, which is a, a horrid thing to do, are doing this at night 
um, in the dark. We have put full resources on this. So first things first, he says that there are more arrests of the people that protest in front of Planned Parenthood because they do, do it during the day. And they try to deter young mothers, old mothers, whatever, anyone carrying a child that's a mother to go and get an abortion. Whereas he says those that attack those institutions that say, come here, are you pregnant? We'll help you have the baby. We'll help you put it up for adoption. You know, there's other choices. Those get attacked at night. Pay attention. I mean, we know demons come out at night. But now comes the sauce part. Listen for words like clemency. Uh, we have uh, uh, asked, uh, put uh, um, uh, rewards out for this. Um, the Justice Department and the FBI have made uh, outreach to Catholic um, and other uh, uh, organizations um, to ask for their help in identifying the people who are doing this. Um, we will prosecute every case against a pregnancy resource center that we can make. Uh, but um, uh, these people who are doing this are clever and are doing it in secret. And um, I, I'm convinced that the FBI is uh, uh, trying to uh, find them uh, with urgency. Okay. See, my time's expired. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I'd like to submit for the record uh, a copy of a letter sent by uh, Representative Andy Biggs from Arizona. Here we go. Uh, here we go. A case involving uh, Philip Esformes, um, uh, an individual who was granted clemency by the prior administration and who's now apparently being prosecuted. I hope to discuss this in a subsequent round. Without objection, it'll be entered in the record. We're going to recess for five minutes. The committee stands in recess. Did you guys hear that? So President Trump had provided clemency to someone, and that someone is still being prosecuted. Are you paying attention now? Now, the Gang of Eight, we sent them letters and asked them to take a look at those documents, but we're going to find a round way, still working on it, to find an accurate way to target that again. Now, the CDC director today testified, well, he testified, right? And obviously blew up every, <laughs> every point that they had before. But rather than us just watch him talk, let's watch the body language ghost tell us what he has to say when he's not saying, as we analyze his failure of maintaining the lie. Let's go. We're having their panels. And as we wait for the people to come through of interest, so we can see where the uh, corruption was stemming from for identification purposes. CDC director was up there, and he had some interesting thought processes. Uh, this one in particular I want to look at first, which is his view on gain of function. Assume they can be mutable in a lab. Dr. Redfield, are you an advocate for a moratorium on gain-of-function research, particularly research on potential pandemic pathogens, and why? Yes, I am. I think that, um, again, I think the people that are advocates for gain-of-function research do believe that by doing this research, they somehow get ahead of the curve. Um, I'm of the point of view that we don't need to make pathogens more transmissible or more pathogenic in order to get ahead of the curve. We can. So as you hear him speak, he's not a big advocate for gain of function. He understands that these people think they're doing the right thing. And his body is singing with him. He's accessing parts of his brain on the emotional part when he talks about them. It's also his thought process. So I would expect, you know, emotions wouldn't be 
too far from that as well. Uh, it also speaks that he's probably a very emotional guy. He's led by his emotions. It's not the worst trait. I mean, he could be a complete psychopath. That would be really bad. So an emotional person is much more redeemable, in my opinion, than a complete. So I just wanted to say I agree with him. Mm-hmm. I agree that many people that are doing gain of function research really think that that's the way to go. They believe that if they can edit the viruses and, you know, um, maybe weaponize them more so they can see on the extreme, they just like to play God. And it's, and it's more so that they think that that's the right way to go. The majority of people, remember, are good. They don't come in, you know, thinking, oh, I'm just going to go screw people over. They go in hoping that they're going to do good. And he reinforces that, and that is true. Complete, logical person. But he's not gating. His hands are moving freely. He's playing with something. So we got the little nervousness there, which in the context of this, you're in front of a committee investigating what all happened when the world went mad. Begin to deal with those pathogens as they evolve. I don't think this should be a decision made by scientists alone. This is a societal decision. There should be a broad debate about whether this research is really necessary. And if so, we should decide how to do it safely and responsibly. I remind people, when I was CDC director, one of the most difficult things I had to do as a 20-something-year Army vet was shut down Fort Detrick. So as he goes into this story, the hands are starting to get tighter as he's playing what looks like a paperclip that he's bending around. I'm going to assume Fort Diedrich was a very bad mark on his career. We went over that mark on his career and many with what happened at Fort Diedrich. I still want to know where that soldier is. Did he really get locked out of his car and freeze to death? Did he get lost? Those are all questions. Or at least made um, enemies in areas that still haunt him to this day. Just a long story short, so you don't have to hear it. Uh, he shut him down because their bio labs were not up to snuff. It wasn't very popular. These guy, uh, people were my friends. I knew them. But our inspection showed... And he got a little bit of a smile. His mouth, if you see him when he's just relaxed, it's like in a constant frown. It's such an upside-down smile. It's very odd. I've never seen anyone in real life with this type of mouth form. So when he smiles, it's just the frown is like less. Thank you, Chairman. For two years, myself and the other Republicans on this subcommittee connected the dots. We exposed the evidence supporting our strong belief that COVID was developed and leaked from the Wuhan lab. And during those same two years, the same Democrats that sit on this committee, they only hindered they obstructed, they refused to hold hearings and get to the truth. Now we see mounting evidence supporting the COVID-19 originated from the lab in Wuhan, China, run by the Communist Chinese uh, Party. And this hearing is about getting to the truth. I thank the chairman for making this the very first hearing because the American people who have seen just as many fellow Americans die from COVID, as nearly as many die from COVID, that died in every war since the American Revolution combined deserve to know the truth. Uh, Dr. Redfield, you pointed to the lab leak theory even before we did. In mid-January of 2020, you expressed concerns to Dr. Fauci, 
to uh, Jeremy Farrar of UK's Wellcome Trust and to Dr. Tedros of World Health Organization that, quote, we had to take the lab leak hypothesis with extreme seriousness. And you urged Dr. Fauci to investigate both the lab and the natural hypotheses. Shortly thereafter, on February 1st, uh, Farrar convened a meeting of a group of 11 top scientists across five time zones and asked Dr. Fauci to join, and he wrote, quote, my preference is to keep this group really tight. Obviously, ask everyone to treat in total confidence, unquote. Dr. Redfield, you were excluded from this call, but up until then, you had been on every single, you were included in every other conversation. What changed? Why do you think that you were excluded from these conversations? Thank you very much. I think uh, just to emphasize. Uh so he's getting into this question that you just heard, and he's gone gated, and he's brought his hands closer to his chest, so he's keeping himself tight. Uh, in, in, in early to mid-January, I did have multiple calls with Fauci, Farrar, and, and, and Tedros about how important I thought it was that science get engaged in, in aggressive, aggressive pursuing both. So you hear the flexion in his voice, science. At that point, it's telling you that he was bucking them then. Science. He's also squinting his eyes a lot. There's a deeper stress here. Hypotheses. I also expressed as a clinical virologist that I felt it was um, not scientifically plausible that this virus went from a bat to humans and became one of the most infectious viruses that we have for humans. All viruses are not the same. So when you look at coronaviruses with, for SARS and MERS, for example, when they entered the human species, which they did via an intermediate, they never learned how to go human to human. Even to this day, they don't know how to go human to human. So you can't equate Ebola with a coronavirus. Now, why do, you, why do you think you were excluded from those calls? I, I, because it was, it was told to me that uh, they wanted a single narrative and that I obviously had a different point of view. Okay. And, oh, so he actually has some visual memory on that as we go back and look again. Now, why do, you, why do you think you were excluded from those calls? I, I, because it was, it was told to me that uh, they wanted a single narrative and that I obviously had a different point of view. A single narrative. Now, let's, let's digest that for a second. So they wanted one story out there and not multiple, almost immediately. Almost sounds like our news media, you can't say something different than what the mainstream is saying or else they don't want to hear you. You see, they created a narrative and they stuck by it. Now think of it. Why would you create a narrative when you could just tell the truth? Hmm. Well then, let's see what else he tells us. And he's actually not collapsing his fingers together so it's not a tight gate he's just relaxed it's because he had a different point of view that is literally the reason and his body is very open to that even though his arms are together they're not tight holding on into a uh, locked gate okay in emails following the conference call for the 11 scientists told fauci that they all found the genetic sequence inconsistent with expectations from evolutionary theory basically what you're saying however just three days later these four scientists had drafted a paper arguing the exact opposite and that's now the infamous proximal origin of sars covid uh, 2. 
Our investigations show that this paper was prompted by Dr. Fauci, among others, with a goal to disprove the lab leak theory. What is the likelihood that these scientists came across additional information just three days after making these statements to conclude with such certainty that COVID-19 came from nature instead of the lab leak that they thought it was three days earlier? Yeah, I think it's unfortunate. Again, I've said this before, that this whole approach that was taken on, January, on February 1st and subsequently in the month of February, if you really want to be truthful, it's antithetical to science. Thank you. Science has debate, and they squashed any debate. Thank you. Given what we know now and looking at all the conversations in February of 2020 and before the release of the paper, do you think that uh, Dr. Fauci used this paper to hide the gain-of-function research created, that gain-of-function research created this virus? I can't talk about Fauci's motivation. Do you think that the paper does hide? All right. So this is very interesting in the sense that he can't talk about, that's what he verbally says, but you see him biting on his own lip. His one hand is over with like the wrist part. You can barely, you only see like half the hand, but you see where the fingers are and he's holding on to his own wrist. So he's giving himself pressure points on this whole issue. Yeah, I would say he definitely thinks this. He just won't say it. By the truth. I think it's an inaccurate paper that basically was part of a narrative that they were creating. Remember, this pandemic... And he's got some visual memory on that one as well. And then all of a sudden, he opens up loose, brings up the finger to sit there and say, hey, wait a minute, and then he's going to give you more info. The did not start in January at the seafood market. We now know there was infections all the way back into September. This was a narrative that was decided that they were going to say this came from the wet market and they were going to do everything they could to support it to negate any discussion about the possibility that this came from a laboratory. I got 20 seconds left. I actually quite like this guy. It is unfortunate of the events that unfolded. I don't know if it was because he didn't have a big enough spine because we have done him before. He was so excited about this thing. And as I said in that video, I didn't know what the excitement was from. It could be just a new bug to study. You know, some people, it sounds kind of morbid, but it's like, ooh, yeah, it's tragic for you, but there's a new bug to study. Yay! Not necessarily nefarious. But from the singing that we're seeing with his body now, we can assume, yes, he was very just excited about a new bug to study. And two, he was the odd man out. As we are listening to him, he has not stated at any moment that he had an ally. And I don't mean an ally like, you know, Joe Blow down the street agrees with you. No, I mean somebody with the same credentials as you and the same powers of government as you. He was alone. That's what we're seeing. What you're observing and speaking of, is this something that would be in line with gain-of-function research and the, and the capabilities it would provide to right, right. the virus? Yeah. I mean, basically, this lab published in 2014 that they accomplished in this, uh, allowing the coronaviruses that they were working with in the lab to bind to the H2 receptor in humanized mice. And the only way they did that was by reorienting the binding domain. And it was clear to them at this time. He's nervous on that one. He's really clenching his hands in there. He's got him fisted and holding onto the wrist. And his body is angled in a way so his neck is contorted towards her, but away. Um, that that was likely the issue in their private conversations. Um, yet by February 4th, a paper on the origins of COVID is drafted by four participants of the February 1 conference call. One of those participants, Dr. Anderson, completely reverses himself in an email to the president of EcoHealth, Peter Dozik, 
and says the main crackpot theories going around at the moment relate to this virus being somehow engineered, and that is demonstrably false. Um, My question to you, Mr. Redfield, did you know of any evidence that they had found within three days from February 1st to February 4th to be able to confirm that it it was not created in a lab? Um, As I mentioned earlier, unfortunately, I was excluded from those conversations, uh, which I found retroactively very disappointed since I was obviously a virologist and very engaged. And I actually had asked Jeremy Farr, Tony Fauci, and Tedros to have these conversations. So you see the little bit of glee on his face. He was excluded. And his body sings with him. He was excluded. If I had to guess, based on what we saw with him being so nervous about the whole mouse thing, gain of function just prior to this question from Green, and then we see this, he's like, oh, I'm so happy that you guys did not put me in to your little circle of corruption because it's all coming out. And which is why we see some glee. And then you see the nervousness prior. It's kind of like when you look at a group of people, these are the scientific community. We've already gone over that he was pretty much alienated. He was alone. There is a lot of peer pressure, a lot of peer pressure to go along. I mean, in all honesty, you almost have to be a psychopath to not want to join the crowd. That's just, that's reality. And looking at how he's reacting to some of this stuff, my guess would be, and this is purely my guess, is that he saw some things that they should not have been doing, and he kept his mouth shut. And he may regret that today. He did that Fort Diedrich thing, got a whole lot of pushback, and he hasn't done it since. The power of peer pressure is real. We can just be thankful that he looks like he has found some allies in the other three that are there. We didn't really go over them at all, which is why we can see him be more open. And that is the one thing that will bring the corruption to heal is when everyone who disagrees with it realizes they're not alone. If you like it, please share and subscribe. So that was Dr. Redfield. Now, I want to say that everything he said was accurate and everything the body language ghost said was accurate. But I think that smile says, gotcha. I know. You could take that as you wish, but I believe he got them nailed. If you guys remember, I did tell you there were infections in 2019. In fact, the um, when I was working at Red State Talk Radio, is it working if I'm not making any money? But whatever. Scott Adams was sick for over a month with a cough and he couldn't shake it and he couldn't breathe, right? That's COVID right there. China already had full-blown COVID. They were targeted first, right? We said this. This is why Pelosi went say, oh, no, China is fine because, you know, she's Chinese aligned. But they decided it's going to be a wet market because people will believe that. It's the new science, the made up parts. So to just add to the comedy, I found this amazing video that I don't think a lot of people watch these videos. I mean, okay, maybe half a million people did, but I don't know if you guys did. So here's a two-minute clip of fun. Please enjoy. No, uh, there have been some recent reports suggesting that our vaccine is not safe. Uh, This, of course, (laughs) is ridiculous. If you look at the science, uh, you will see that uh, there are no side effects. In fact, I myself have been boosted four (laughs) times. 
boosted four times. This notion that vaccines can have any kind of side effect is a right-wing conspiracy bolstered by MAGA Republicans, hate groups, and probably Russia. Look, would we vaccinate 7 billion people if there were side effects? Side effects? Of course not. It's dangerous and quite frankly irresponsible to blame the recent uptick of people suddenly collapsing on our product. Healthy people have always suddenly fallen to the ground from heart problems. This is totally normal. Nothing is. Wrong. Nothing is wrong. Sorry, we ran out of the uh, spokespeople. Why are you not collapsing? Did you get the vaccine? Uh, no, no. I don't be silly. I don't want to collapse. I'm not a fool. I want to live. I want to live. these here? Um, it's good enough. Whatever. I don't get paid enough for this. It's at this point that you liquefy human remains for fertilizer, right? Oh, hey friends. You might be wondering how I got here. Well, I tried using an instrument in the Church of Christ. So now I have to use this harmonica as a pitch pipe in prison. It's whole terrible contraband. Anyway, try liking and subscribing to Babylon B, and then maybe I'll buy my way out of here, like I'll buy my way into heaven. So for those of you that don't know, Babylon B makes videos. Kind of just to po point out the idiocracy. Fear. That's what got everyone washing vegetables social distancing, locking themselves in their house, and then on and then on and then on. But then you have to question, how did this all come? Well, it all came just like the truth was covered up. It's an operation. Now, I am completely against the whole operation of Tucker Carlson getting the videos. Because you know, in the end, we'll never get the raw footage. It will all be edited regardless. Even if they release it to us, we will not have all the footage. That's that. And it's unfortunate. It should have just been released to the public. That would have been better. Now, let's take a listen to what he put out. And let's just see it in its entirety. They don't wave their hands around and make wild accusations. They don't need to do that. It's enough to say what they know. And if honest people turn out to be wrong about something they have claimed, they'll admit it. They don't double down on false. They made a mistake and that's okay. It's not like they're claiming to be God. Liars behave differently. Liars are touchy, sometimes to the point of hysteria. They're hiding something. That's the whole point of lying. And they're worried you're gonna find out what it is. Liars are fragile. Because over time, lying makes you weak and afraid. It has the same effect on countries, by the way. We're living through one of those clarifying moments, which actually we're thankful for, where we're learning exactly who the liars are. 
On Monday, we showed you unreleased videotape from January 6th. It proved, that tape proved, that three of the most important claims our leaders have made about that day were untrue. Their claims were lies. We were not shocked to discover that. We knew there was a reason that congressional leaders had been hiding the tape and that reporters in Washington weren't demanding to see it. They were lying to us, obviously. That's why you hide things. But what was actually surprising, and we can't quite get over even now, is how they responded when they were caught lying. They didn't seem embarrassed. They didn't apologize. They weren't even curious to learn more about what actually happened on January 6th. Let's see the tape. No, they didn't want to see it. They exploded in rage. And then, as liars tend to do, they doubled down. They told the same lies they'd been caught telling, but with even greater aggression this time. Shut up, it's midnight, they said as the sun rose behind them. Who acts like that? Well, sociopaths do. And in this case, the sociopaths turned out to be both Democrats and Republicans. The commitment to lying in Washington is far deeper and more bipartisan even than we realize when we follow this stuff for a living. Now, you sometimes hear people say that the whole partisan system is an illusion and that underneath the manufactured debates, the leaders on both sides are in fact secretly united in a common love of money and power and the deception acquired to get them. And honestly, we could never really bring ourselves to believe that. It's just too dark. But now we do believe it because we have seen it. Consent states to claim not just that Brian Sicknick was actually murdered by Republicans at the Capitol, but that other officers were murdered too. It's, it's almost beyond belief. Watch this. The right rage of bipartisan lawmakers, you heard them all yesterday, you guys reported on it, who have condemned uh, this false de depiction of the unprecedented violent attack on, con on our Constitution and the rule of law, which cost police, police uh, officers their lives. It was a violent attack on a fundamental tenet of American democracy, that power is peacefully transferred from one administration to another. Uh, um, over a hundred officers were assaulted on that day. Five officers died. Five officers died on that day. Now that's just not some guy. Can we just stop for a second? So what's really weird is if this is such a horrific act, then how come HBO and other media outlets had full access from days prior to that? It's almost like they knew. See, this is where it doesn't make sense. Well, this was impromptu, apparently, and violent. How did Nancy Pelosi's daughter have the clearance to get in there? How did other journalists have the clearance to get in there days earlier? Almost like it was planned. Almost as if that was the stage. I on Twitter, that's the Attorney General of the United States. That's a man whose honesty is central to his job. If you had a choice between IQ and integrity in an attorney general, of course you would go with integrity because it's essential. But Joe Biden's attorney general, Merrick Garland, is a liar. He just lied about something that is provably false. Who are these five officers who were, quote, killed that day? Notice he didn't tell you. No one ever tells you. No one ever shows you their autopsies. They don't want any detail. They just want the slogan. Now, they're counting Brian Sicknick. That's a lie. But who are the other four? Well, those are four officers who killed themselves after January 6th, in some cases, long after January 6th. But their suicides, we know for a fact, were the result of the Republican mob at the Capitol. It's just, it's just false. 
and it's not some esoteric fact. That fact is available to anyone who has internet access. No police officers died that day on January 6th. None. Not one. Some were assaulted, that is true, and their assaults are indefensible. So how many were assaulted? Well, Garland said over 100. The Government Accountability Office says the number is 114, and we're just going to roll with that. We don't know if it's true, but we'll take it at face value. And that is bad. We are opposed to assaulting police officers in any context. We said that on January 6, 2020. And we'll say it again. We're against that. But is January 6 the worst assault on the U.S. government since the Civil War? That's insane. It's not even close. How about March of 1954, when Puerto Rican separatists shot five congressmen in the Capitol building? Five members of Congress shot in the building. It's all bad. But the worst since the Civil War, you're just a flat-out liar if you're saying that. More recently, this is an event we all remember, Antifa descended on Washington, D.C. to force the sitting president from office. But it was Trump, so that's cool. And while they were there, they set a historic Christian church on fire. St. John's in Lafayette Square. Do you remember that? You should, because it happened Labor Day weekend less than three years ago. And when it happened, the left-wing mayor of Washington, D.C. refused to allow her police department, the MPD, to assist Secret Service agents while they were under siege and getting beaten. No, she made her cops stand back and watch it happen. And they were very upset about it at the time. May have forgotten that. Here's what it looked like. I believe there are several fires raging now down this street. And this is what you hate to see. There are people throwing fireworks and who knows what else. And that crane is just fully engulfed. Just set fire to St. John's Church. That is burning a church across from the White House. Those are the George Floyd riots. So what was the toll there? Now, we're not going to guess. We're going to go again right to the government. According to a recently released GAO report last month, during those attacks, the 2020 attack on the White House by left-wing mobs, who were quoting, Federal Protective Services, the Secret Service, and the Park Police reported that at least 180 officers were injured during the demonstrations, including concussions, lacerations, exposure to chemical gas, and severe burning. So while stipulating that all riots are bad, because precision matters, facts matter, the truth matters, here's the truth. More cops were injured by Kamala Harris's favorite mob, BLM, at the White House, then were injured by Trump voters at the Capitol on January 6th. A lot more. So again, to be clear, both events are bad, but here's the key. We only remember one of them. Why? Because the people in charge of history are liars. Liars. Let's also remember that the BLM gangs and the riots were actually shooting people. Remember, was it Minneapolis where a 
Former chief of police, black man that owned a electronics store was shot for a television set. But that was mostly peaceful. They set St. John's on fire, but that was mostly peaceful. See, what did he say? Those that write history are liars. That means he's alluding that they control the pen. Oh, no, they don't. No, they don't. They've been scribbling a bit, but the people were awakened, and this is where it all comes to roost. And lying is bad. And on a national scale, it's deadly. It's corrosive of everything that is good in the country, including trust and your grasp on reality itself. And that's why they try to make you lie. Men can become women. Climate change is an existential threat or whatever the lie is they're making you tell. They don't believe it. They know you don't believe it. But by forcing you to repeat it, they degrade and control you. They make you less of a person. They also hurt individuals. We told you Monday about Navy veteran Jacob Chansley. He was tried by the media, convicted of being a domestic terrorist, and sentenced to four years in prison. What exactly was Jacob Chansley's crime? Well, no one was ever very precise about that. Here's what the media told you it was. In his horned helmet, fur pelts, and face paint, Jacob Chansley became known as the QAnon shaman. But prosecutors called him the most prominent symbol of a violent insurrection. He's been in jail since January, and he's trying to get out, but prosecutors say he is still too dangerous to release. Make no mistake, Chansley is a stone-cold thug. He kept saying, I'm... You know, I'm not violent, I'm peaceful, I'm a shaman. But then you put those images, what you were just talking about, you put those images together and that isn't an image of, you know, of peace. This is the new face of extremism. It's the new face of extremism. Jacob Chansley is the new face of extremism. Let's pause that for a second. First of all, I'd like to blow this up. Give me a second. Can you see... These random items on the floor, a stack of books, whatever this is. I mean, that's so weird that the Capitol has these random things thrown on the floor. Wait, you'll see more. This is what you need to be paying attention to, aside from the fact that he's being escorted to where he's requested to go, almost like he has clearance to go, or maybe whoever had the clearances and the access passes to the Capitol led him there. This is just something I'd like to point out. Extremism. He's a stone cold thug. Prosecutors say he is too dangerous to release. And most people. And do we see the newspapers over here? Like no one's picked up anything here. Just that right there. Just pay attention. Pay attention to the details that no one's paying attention to. People believe that because why wouldn't they? They were told it and there was no evidence to the contrary. And now there is evidence to the contrary. We brought it to you Monday. The video that we... Let's also pay attention to some shirt that's randomly left by uh, the doors of uh, the Senate, the house. Damn, right there. There's just like this random shirt just left there. Hmm, that's interesting. Just, I'm just pointing out some things reviewed at great length over three weeks showed with precision what Jacob Chansley actually did inside the Capitol. And here's what it looks like once again. Here's video of Chansley in the Senate chamber. Capitol Police the contrary. We brought it to you Monday. The video that we reviewed at great length over three weeks showed with 
again, I'm sorry, there was no sound. These two benches, back to back, that, that, the books, the newspapers, the bag. Let's just keep going. Precision, what Jacob Chansley actually did inside the Capitol. And here's what it looks like once again. Here's video of Chansley in the Senate chamber. Capitol Police officers take him to multiple entrances and even try to open locked doors for him. We counted at least nine officers who were within touching distance of unarmed Jacob Chansley. Not one of them even tried to slow him down. Chansley understood that Capitol Police were his allies. Video shows him giving thanks for them in a prayer on the floor of the- Can we like look at the bag that's left there? You know, it's just really bizarre the way it's so open and clear as if it was taped afterwards. Could it be before? I don't see any timestamps, so I don't know. I don't have this footage. We just have to take the word of whatever we're being told, but there's some random bag there and some random thing here. You know, it's just, look, look, look at the bag here. Look at this there, right? Okay, I'm just pointing out, you know, furniture and rugs being in different places. Random stuff right here. I'm just pointing some messy stuff out considering we pay so much to keep the capital upkeep. The Senate, watch. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for paying the inspiration needed to these police officers to allow us into the building. Contrast the reality of what Jacob Chansley did in the Capitol building on January 6th, the indisputable facts recorded on video, some of which has never before been seen, with the depiction of Jacob Chansley that you've seen in the media for more than two years. He's a terrorist, they said. And now we see that reporter that took that fantastic picture of the guy from a top, right? Remember? How did he get in there? Was it not packed? Did they just come in by themselves? It was that empty? Like, what's going on here? These are all questions because I don't see the timestamps that should be there. He should be killed. Shoot him. Yeah. Shoot him. Like, if it, you burst into the United States, if he was dressed like bin Laden, would he have shot him? Shoot him. Shoot him. It makes you wonder, who are the violent extremists here? So as you saw, and again, details matter because this is a man. This is an American citizen, a Navy veteran. This is a human being. And so what he actually did should be of deep concern to every American because he's in jail tonight. What Jacob Chansley actually did was wander peacefully through the Capitol, shepherded by Capitol police officers who literally opened doors for him. When one was locked, they went to another. Dozens of officers stood and watched him. All of them had guns. Jacob Chansley did not. They never told Jacob Chansley to get out. The head of the Capitol police today said he was trying to calm the situation. It was already calm. He was the only protester in the frame. They could have let him outside. They didn't. They helped him. We're not going to speculate as to why we don't know why. All we know is what we see on the tape, and no one disputes it. We didn't cherry pick it. We didn't make it up. Once inside the Senate chamber, as we told you, Chansley said a prayer thanking God for the kindness of Capitol Hill police. And good for him. They were kind. This was not a domestic terrorist. Can someone tell me where the footage is of him entering after that door? Like, were all those people already there? Were, was he by himself? Did he meet up with that reporter with the big camera? I mean, what happened here? Where are the timestamps? You see, this is why I'm telling you we're never going to get the footage that we're due. Because... 
<laughs> it's all a freaking show. And that's what sucks. It is all a freaking show. He goes in, where's the camera in there? Oh, let me guess. Nowhere. But we fast forward to the part that he's already in a position and he's saying a prayer for them bringing him in and everyone's got their head down and they're all praying. And then we get a shot with him with the um, police taking him around. This is what we get, okay? Because you're people and you fund them. So you need to shut up and take whatever story and whatever narrative they give you. And that matters. But what matters even more is that the videos that we showed you after 26 months were not shown to Jacob Chansley's attorneys. That's a violation of the Constitution. And he's in jail because of it. Because the liars on the January 6th committee and the prosecutors who did their bidding, and that means Benny Thompson, and that means Adam Schiff, it means Liz Cheney, these people have this man's life on their hands. They helped withhold these videos from Jacob Chansley's attorneys. And that means the judge who sentenced Jacob Chansley, Royce Lamberth, never saw them either. And therefore, Lamberth was able to say, Judge Lamberth was able to say, that what Chansley did was, quote, horrific. He apparently had no idea that Chansley was wandering around with the cops, walking through doors they opened, then saying prayers for them. We're quoting, you made yourself the center of the riot, said the judge. Really? He accused Chansley of, quote, obstruction, obstructing the... Why is this judge still on a bench? Huh? Did his, did his counsel say we don't have the videotapes? Did they complain? Because any judge that would say you don't need the videotapes, you're just going to jail, shouldn't be on the bench. And that's easily done with a quick motion by denying access to evidence. Did he say that? We have to look at the transcripts, right? Functioning of government. But that's not at all what was happening. He was ambling through the Capitol, flanked at all times by armed cops who were directing his movement. Meanwhile, prosecutors of the DOJ, the real villains here, falsely, they lied in court and said that Chansley was, quote, leading the charge into the Capitol on January 6th. They said he was, quote, the flag bearer for the mob. Apparently, kind of looks like he was the first one there being escorted through all those police officers trying to find the door for him so he can go nicely and peacefully, huh? Almost like enter left stage. Because he had a flag. He was alone. And of course, the media picked up on this and amplified it as the DOJ intended. Fortune magazine disgraced itself by comparing the man you just saw to ISIS. They said Chansley had, quote, the zeal to possibly kidnap or kill officials. These aren't just lies. These are lies that destroyed a man. So no matter who you voted for in the last election, you could probably agree that send sending someone to prison for four years on the basis of fabricated evidence is the most serious threat to civil liberties we could possibly face. And yet here's the thing, leaders in both parties, the party that Chansley voted against and the party he voted for, have said nothing, not one word about the implications of this videotape. The implications not just for Chansley, but for our constitution and our country going forward. Instead, ooh, how dare you show this? What is clearly exculpatory evidence. And again, it's not just Chuck Schumer, it's Republican senators. Kevin Kramer, Mike Rounds, Chuck. Isn't it interesting to see North Dakota and North Dakota right here? Oh, and Chuck Grassley and John Thune and Lindsey Graham and John Kennedy. Well, we expect Crenshaw. Expect, 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 expect. What's going on over here? Hmm? What's going on here? Well, let's see what else Tucker has to tell us.
Grassley, John Thune, Lindsey Graham, of course, Congressman Dan Crenshaw, needless to say, Kelly Armstrong, all went after us. We're not whining about that. We don't care, actually, but it just tells you everything about the way things actually work. They're not loyal to their voters. They're loyal to each other. And they're willing to lie, really lie, and crush people. Mitch McConnell, Tom Tillis, and BLM superfan Mitt Romney tonight want to make it up on the basis of fabricated evidence is the most serious threat to civil liberties we could possibly face. And yet here's the thing. Leaders in both parties, the party that Chancellor voted against and the party he voted for, have said nothing, not one word about the implications of this videotape. The implications not just for Chansley, but for our Constitution and our country going forward. Assaulted, all of that, or you had to be in close proximity to it. If you were just a tourist, you should have probably lined up at the visitor center and came in on an orderly basis. So I, I just don't think it's helpful. It's really sad to see Tucker Carlson uh, go off the rails that bad. Uh, the American people saw what happened on January 6th. They've seen uh, the, the people that got injured. They saw the damage to the building. Uh, you, you, you can't hide the truth um, uh, by selectively picking a few minutes out of tapes and saying this. That's what they did. They selectively picked and said, right? I mean, they didn't even have footage for the Black Lives Matter movement because they were standing in front of burning buildings to say it was mostly peaceful. Well, we got to think. He was escorted in all peacefully. We don't have timestamps on the footage being shown when they do have timestamps. He's walking through the door, but we don't see what go, what's in there where he walks through the door. Were there people? Probably not. Maybe. Of what went on. It's, it's so absurd. Weak men are vicious men. And these are weak men whose attitudes towards an individual whose life has been destroyed on the basis of false and withheld evidence is vicious. Oh, we cherry picked. Really? What they're saying, ironically, what they're describing, ironically, is exactly what the January 6th committee and the prosecutors in these cases did for two years. They selectively picked small segments of tape to convince Americans that January 6th was something that it wasn't. It was awful. We would not defend that. We hate vandalism. We hate assault. Was it a violent insurrection? It was not. Was it a killing of five officers in the Capitol? It was not. Those are lies. And they buried tape that contradicted and revealed those lies. So all we did was play the tape that they had been hiding for 26 months and show that there were American citizens, Jacob Chansley specifically, and others whose civil liberties were annihilated. And you can make your own rational judgments about what that means. Do you want to live in a country where that's possible? They don't care. Neither party in Washington cares. A lot of people don't care. A lot of people don't care that they've lied. A lot of people are going to lap up everything that Tucker Carlson said because He's on their side and shame and Jake. Again, there's more to the story that a lot of people aren't saying, but in summary, this is exactly what they said. That's all folks. That's it. Don't question. Don't ask. How dare you? They're smarter than you. And you must listen. Because if you don't, then you're a conspiracy theorist. But do you know how they get all of these done? Pretty simple. Bullying and AI. Now let's get to the bullying quick. Here's a report by Judicial Watch. 
Now, when you threaten a machine as big as theirs, no matter how big you are, they will come for you. They will come for you. And they will try anything to get a hold of you. But those are also orchestrated too, I guess. Take a listen. Well, Republicans now investigating the weaponization of the federal government and are accusing the Federal Trade Commission of harassing Twitter after the FTC requested internal communications from the tech giant, including information on the guy who owns the whole operation, Elon Musk. Let's bring in Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton. Tom, it's great to have you on. Uh, the FTC now also hey, wants the all uh, identification of all the journalists that Twitter has given company information to. Matt Taibbi, one of them, said the following, quoting here, which journalist a company or its executives talk to is not remotely the government's business. This is an insane overreach. Michael Schellenberger follows that with the Biden administration is demanding that Elon Musk explain why he allowed journalists access to the Twitter files. This is an outrageous attack on the First Amendment. I think they've both got a point, Tom. Yeah, and the Federal Trade Commission is run by a recent Biden appointee. Only Democrats are there. No Republican appointees there currently. And uh, they started harassing Musk almost immediately upon his taking over Twitter, supposedly for a consent decree that the prior management had signed related to privacy protections. Mm -hmm. So they're using that as an excuse to demand all records about Elon Musk, to question him under oath, to investigate why he fired that former FBI lawyer who was working right. there, evidently censoring everybody, and as you point out, uh, targeting journalists who were exposing Twitter documents that showed corruption by the Biden administration and other government officials in working with Twitter to censor Americans. Why isn't the FTC investigating tech companies for censorship and lying about the basis for the censorship? Yeah. But this is a retaliation. Musk considered it, considered it to be retaliation. And if I were in the House and I had a debt limit I had to argue over, I'd make the money for the FTC part of that discussion. And I'd figure out who was abusing their authority yeah. over there to target Musk and be sure they no longer were employed. Well, if this is harassment, as you say, I mean, I want to know what, what's the goal of the FTC here, Tom? Well, the FTC is on the cutting edge of the Biden administration's efforts uh, to censor Americans online. Uh, they're very keen on doing this, using the powers the FTC has in litigation. And Musk is uh, a key figure. Uh, he's standing fast, almost alone, among the big tech companies mm -hmm. in promoting freer speech online. And yeah. Joe Biden opposes First Amendment protections online. And his FTC uh, is, is acting on his behalf. And, you know, remember, Biden specifically targeted uh, Musk from the podium. He said there should be a national security review of what he's doing. Uh, boy, oh boy. Yeah. And lastly, why does the FTC need internal documents about the guy who owns the company, Elon Musk? Yeah, it's harassment. Uh, they're asking for every document that uh, relates to Elon Musk, including documents he, quote, caused to be sent. Uh, and they want to know, um, you know, why office equipment was being sold. Uh, if this is not petty harassment, I don't know what would be. Uh, and frankly, um, other companies look at what's happened in Elon Musk and it sends a signal to them, oh, we better not allow freer speech on Facebook or on Google yeah. or YouTube or elsewhere. Yeah. Tom Fitton, 
Good to have you all. This is this is gangster government. This is gangster government. Yeah, it, it sounds like it. Tom, thank you. I want to underscore the very real threat posed by Twitter files and by the witnesses in front of us today. Here's be taken down in order to advance a narrative. And I have to interrupt just to agree with you. The way is what you just said undermines the premise of this select committee, which is that the federal government has been organized to weaponize uh, against conservative voices. Um, and of course, what you've just indicated in your testimony is, well, actually, that's not the evidence you found. No, I think this committee, my understanding is that they're, they're concerned about the weaponization of, of the government against free speech, which is certainly what we're I, I Thank you. My time has expired, but I appreciate your understanding of our committee. I have a different understanding. I yield back. Well, you got the wrong understanding. Last week in the, in the full Judiciary Committee hearing, I introduced into the record a story of a left-wing journalist who said that, that talked about the FBI putting a paid informant, a felon, in the Black Lives Matter movement in Denver. I want to focus on the First Amendment, just like protecting the First Amendment, just like these guys Point do. of order, Mr. Chair. Are you going to respond after every? No, I'm everything? taking my five minutes. This is I your, can take oh, my your, five minutes. Oh, your, it's your five minutes I now? I can take my five minutes when, when, when I want to, and I'm taking my five okay, minutes Okay, great. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I would ask for an additional few seconds for being interrupted by the ranking member. Um, but the, the truth is we want to focus on protecting the First Amendment. Mr. Schellenberger, are you a Republican? No, I'm not. You got, a, you got any you know, pro-Trump bumper stickers on your car? I voted for Biden. Voted for Biden. You don't know, have any MAGA hats laying around your house, right? I do not. Yeah, but you said earlier, both you and Mr. Taibbi said, this is the most chilling thing you have ever seen as journalists. Mr. Taibbi, the same thing. You're not a Republican either, right? No, no. I'm not. You didn't vote for Trump. I mean, like, this is about protecting the First Amendment. Mr. Taibbi, I want to read from your uh, Twitter file number nine. You say this, after weeks of Twitter files, the Bureau issued a statement Wednesday, referring to the FBI. Here's what the FBI said. It is unfortunate that conspiracy theorists and others are feeding the American public misinformation with the sole purpose of attempting to discredit the agency. You then follow up. This is why I think you're an award-winning author. You then follow up. They must think we're unambitious if our sole aim is to discredit the FBI. After all, a whole range of government agencies discredit themselves in the Twitter files. And then you go on to, in this particular Twitter file, to talk about what Mr. Bishop was just talking about, the GEC at the State Department. You talk about the CIA. You talk about the DOD. You talk about the FBI. You talk about the DHS. You talk about the Foreign Intelligence Task Force, which is a combination of all these. But there was one agency you didn't mention because you didn't know at the time. One agency, one, you had almost the whole alphabet, but you didn't mention one agency, the FTC. The F, because you, you know about them now. <laughs> yes, we you do. know about them now in an up close and personal way. You didn't know then, but you do know, uh, know, know now. December 2nd, as I said earlier, December 2nd, the first Twitter file comes out, Mr. Taibbi. And I think there are five others, including the ones from Mr. Schellenberger. December 13th, the very first letter that the FTA, uh, FTC sends to Twitter after the Twitter files, 11 days after the first Twitter file, there have been five of them come out. The FTC's first demand in that first letter after the Twitter files come out is identify all journalists, I'm, I'm quoting, identify all journalists and other members of the media to whom Twitter worked with. You find that scary, Mr. Taibbi, that you got a federal government agency asking a private company, who in the press are you talking with? Yeah, I, I do find it scary. I, I, I think it's none of the government's business what uh, which journalists a private company talks to and why. 
Um, I think every journalist should be concerned about that and the absence of interest in that issue by um, uh, my fellow colleagues in the mainstream media is an indication of how low the business has sunk. Uh, there was once a real esprit de corps and camaraderie uh, within media. Whenever one of us was uh, gone after, we all kind of rose to the challenge and supported. Used to be. Yeah. Used to be the case. Um, that is gone now. Uh, we, we don't protect one another. You know what another. else used to happen? Democrats used to care about protecting First Amendment free speech rights too. Now it's like, okay, if you're attacking, and I said this on the House floor, I said, don't think they won't come for you. Oh, the, the, the big tech, big media, the cancel culture, they may come for Republicans and conservatives now, but they never, the mob is never satisfied. They will keep coming. Mr. Schellenberger, you know who the chair of the FTC is? Uh, not personally. Lena Khan. Lena Khan. You know who she used to work for? My understanding is the Judiciary Committee. Yeah, she's worked for these folks. The same folks have been attacking you today. Same folks. Chair of the FTC. Worked for them. Here's what they said. Here's what she said in, one, in a letter where they ask about who these journalists. Again, they named four personally, four journalists by name. You were two of the four. As I said before, I think it's, it's frankly courageous and brave of you to show up today when you know the federal government's got an eye on you personally. Here's what they asked for in that letter. Any credentialing or background check Twitter has done on journalists. Now think about that. The federal government is saying, we want you to do a background check on members of the press, freedom of the press mentioned in the First Amendment, and they're doing back. They want Twitter to do a background check on you before they can talk to you in America? The FTC, led by Lena Khan, who used to work for these guys, is asking that question. Now, 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 now we know, now we all know why you guys said at the outset, this is the most chilling story. And you guys are New York Times bestsellers, award-winning uh, journalists, but in all your, your time in the, in the journalism field, this issue, most important. And how this, I think, what'd you call it, Mr. Schellenberg, this is complex, what'd you call it? The, Censorship industrial complex. Totally. This web of censorship, big government, big tech, NGOs, all this web of censorship that Mr. Bishop was getting into in his line of questioning. That's what this committee is going to get to. And that's not right or left. That's not, this is just right or wrong. This is wrong. We know it's wrong and it's about protecting. How are they going to protect it? This looks like they're going to talk about it for a couple months. They're going to make some reports and then it's going to be done, right? Now, um, earlier today, I was talking with a few people. Joe was actually on the call, and he was really upset that for International Women's Day, woman of the Asov Battalion <laughs> got, um, you know, an award. Let me tell you who those are. This is a 17-minute, 17 17-second 17 clip. Please enjoy. That's me and all the boys. That's all y'all. Earlier this month, he defected to Russia. He brought everything with him, papers, files, intelligence and maps. The thing is, he always meant to. The first question is, why, why are you here? I mean, well, uh, it's the reason I came uh, to Ukraine in the first place. You know, uh, I'm a communist, I'm an anti-fascist, and uh, we have to fight fascism everywhere. You know, so uh, I came, when I came to Ukraine, I knew uh, that I would try to get as much information as I could about, you know, anything that would be helpful and uh, defect across lines. The problem is, is uh, when I was in uh, Kharkov, I was going to swim across. And uh, I found out they had uh, snipers in position. So if anybody uh, 
and actually found out that the snipers were for defectors, not for actually uh, protection. They were actually, uh, anybody tried to defect, they would shoot them, you know. Since March 2022, John served in Ukraine's Foreign Legion and Nationalist Battalion Karpatska Sech. He saw and documented the Ukrainian war machine in all its ugly glory from the inside. He became part of it. God bless Ukraine, God bless America, but f*** you Russia. F*** you Russia. It's f***ing Russia. F*** you Russia. Can I uh, step on this? Slava Ukraini. Horon Slava. It's Russia. F*** Russia. As time went on, you know, I had to become more nationalistic, more Nazistic, you know, doing... Does uh, that explain the videos where you were, you were like, f*** Putin and f*** Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. It's, uh... Is part of it to maintain my cover because I got to become them. You know what I mean? If I'm going to be with them, I got to become them. You know, and doing the you know Hitler salute, stepping on Russian flags, everything. Oh yeah, <laughs> Karpatska siege, baby. Slava Ukraina, heroin Slava, 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 Slava. Yeah. When I first came, I didn't. I kind of expected they wouldn't be that big of a problem. Like I, I kind of, you know, assumed that it was just. Like a, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't think there was actually that many. But uh, when I came, I was really surprised. It was everybody have, you know, tattoos and uh, Nazi symbolism. Sometime later on, uh, on my Facebook page, I had uh, pictures of uh, Che Guevara and uh, the Soviet Union, and uh, I got questioned for having communist views and. Uh, I had to think quick on my feet, you know, and I, I just told him, I said, hey, I'm an anti-fascist. I'm here to fight Russian imperialism and the Nazis and this and that. And they said, uh, no, the Russians aren't the Nazis. We're the Nazis. And uh, they, who, yeah. who said this? Who said this? Uh, it was just um, some guys from uh, Croatia or Czech. I can't remember what they were. Uh, these are foreigners as well? Foreigners, yeah, foreigners. The proliferation and dominance of Nazi ideology, from swastikas to SS emblems, is well documented and studiously ignored by Western states and media. And we're supporting these, these guys, and these are supposed to be our ally, and we want to put them in NATO with us, and they can't even follow Geneva Convention, and they're supposed to be our friends. You know, like, this would never fly in America. The United States would never stand for this. Our whole country is literally burning in front of our eyes, and we're spending $500 million for these Nazis, billions of dollars for a Nazi government. You know, so that uh, infuriates me, and it's time for the American people to stand up and take control of our country. Over the year, John spent most of his time in squads with foreign mercenaries. He watched and documented names, places, crimes, and much more. The Russian position is at three kilometers. They're here. Maybe in the night, one group come back in the position to kill these f***ing pigs directly. <laughs> Tell me this. Uh, what about war crimes? Where to start, you know? Uh, my, my second day in Ukraine, uh, we were in Lvov, and uh, we were in like a school, but we were in like the basement, and what they did is they have a, a group of people, Roma, but they call them gypsy, you know. Hmm. And uh, what they did is they take the refugees and put them above us and the soldiers below. That way, if uh, they bombed a school, they'd say, look, they bombed a school full of refugees. And this is a uh, common practice uh, in Donetsk, Kharkov. Uh, we occupy uh, civilian houses next to uh, houses that people are still living in. That way, if uh, 
they bomb and kill civilian they bring in the news crew and they say look uh, this house they blew up and they killed these civilians but what the camera doesn't show you is to the left and to the right is a house is uh, filled with military you know of course uh, I haven't seen seen this uh, in person thank God but I know that uh, a lot of uh, captured Russian soldiers they'll take and they'll uh, cut the genitalia with the knives and everything and uh, cut them cut their stomachs open and uh, slit their throats cut their heads off and stuff like this you know really horrible horrible stuff you know was this the work of nationalist extremists or just yeah yeah this? just extremists and uh, different organizations as of you know uh, Karpaska Siege people you knew yeah uh, uh, did any of them uh, yeah they were foreigners yeah but did, did any of them take part in the, you know commit any of these crimes yeah yeah they uh, I told you earlier they had shot uh, three people in the back of the head they were foreigners uh, one was from uh, Portugal uh, one was from France and uh, one was from uh, Argentina Are they proud yeah they're proud yeah of course John put up every appearance of a good mercenary oh yeah yeah John came prepared. For years, he served in the U.S. military. Uh, First Armored Division. It was uh, hot, hot out there. Is at uh, Fort Bliss, Texas. How long were you in the military for? Two years. Two years. Yeah. Two Good years in a month. Huh? Good years. Or? No, not really. <laughs> not really. A lot of drinking, you know. In the uh, army? Oh yeah, of course. Normal, standard practice, of course. Really? Yeah, yeah, of course. On base? Yeah, yeah. Cocaine, everything, weed, anything you want, you know. Today, dude, like we are getting nailed. It's too much for me, dude. This is this Donbass, dude. This war, man. In general, ain't no joke, dude. People are getting ate the up left and right. I should have went to college. <laughs> I've had a lot of moments where I'm like, oh my God, this is stupid, you know, what the hell am I doing, you know? But it had to be done because, you know, this, uh, the Ukrainian government and uh, Nazis that control the government and control the population, you know, the things they're doing in Ukraine to the Russian people, they need to be talked about, you know, they need to be stopped and we've got to fight Nazism everywhere we go, even in America. John documented everything. It was in his phone, his head, and in the papers he brought along. When you when you came over, you said you you were a spy. Did you hand over, for example, like bases and stuff, lease? Yeah, yeah, of course. Intelligence agencies. Of course, everything from the command structure to names, you know, uh, weaponry, everything. And I was uh, successful in that, you know. More than successful. John also testified about how deep U.S. involvement in this conflict is. There has been a U.S. Uh, participation in the war. When I was in the International Legion, there was a, uh, he was like a military intelligence officer from the Navy. Uh-huh, and the he, U.S. Navy. Yeah, and he had, uh, well, he was in uh, the Foreign Legion. Uh-huh. And uh, he had a satellite phone and a computer provided by the CIA. And every day he would call his uh, contacts and he would get uh, information about the positions, troop movements, and so on and so forth. And Do you remember his name? Uh, yeah, yeah. What was it? Um, wait, no, what was his name? Hang on, I'm so sorry, I can't remember. First name at least? Uh, I think it was like Marcus or something like that. Like, for example, they would provide like grid coordinates. 
According to him, the United States feeds Ukraine the weapons and data to wage war. All that is left for Ukrainians and their foreign mercenaries to do is to point their weapons and shoot where America tells them. Before we continue this, just a recap for those of you that are lost. So one thing he said about the military bases, super true. Those of you that have served and lived on the barracks, there's always the guy with the booze, always the guy with the with the drugs and the prostitutes. I know because I did most of my drugs, you know, on bases when we would go and attach ourselves to the military. Now, what this guy said is he went in there and I am gathering that he went in there to help them. This is my assessment from his body language, that he went in there to assess the situation and assist because Nazis, right? But I believe that at some point he realized all of the crimes they were doing, severing penises off of people, killing people that wanted to leave Ukraine, kind of sounds like the first reports we were hearing when Joe Biden was saying, oh, we're going to war, oh, we're going to war, right? And then people were running away and they were getting killed. If you remember, I told you guys about, you know, the big news that happened and suddenly went away after one day where these Greek Ukrainians smuggled themselves out of Ukraine and they said they were saved by the Russians because they were killing their own. Now, I want you to listen to what he's saying because what he did was he worked with them. He documented their names, took video footage and pictures of all these people and then went over to Russia to tell them about all these Nazis. I hope you're paying attention. I hope you're paying attention to what he's saying. Down here in the Donbass, it's been cold, wet. Uh, it's been hell, bombs, but we're finally in the truck. Say what's up, boys? Yeah! Would you say that uh, most of the, the, the foreign mercenaries, the foreigners that you came in with have, have left? Uh, yeah, yeah, most of them. Uh, because of, mostly uh, some because of uh, they realized the reality of this war and then uh, some were injured and then uh, some were killed, you know. And uh, it's really sad about the ones that are killed because when they get killed, if uh, they don't get sent home, they get cremated, then they get sent home, you know. But this is, this is what they chose, isn't it? Well, uh, it's, yeah, I mean... Uh, it's they chose it. I mean, they chose to uh, to come and fight for fascists. You know, they chose to come and fight for Nazis. You know what I mean? So. And then there's the corruption. Always the corruption in Ukraine. Western taxpayers, says John, are being robbed left and right. And then they take the insurance money and then they put the insurance money in their pockets. Oh, yeah. Is this what they do? Yeah, they take in the insurance money too. For foreign fighters. Yeah. Yeah. And was this was this a common practice? Yeah, of course. I mean, uh, like most, like I'd say 90% of the uh, families, they don't get their insurance money from, and uh, they take in salaries too, you know, like if a soldier terminates contract, like I, like I did with the Carpathia Siege, I terminated contract, yeah? Right. 
uh, they've taken the last uh, paycheck, they've taken this money for themselves. But this doesn't go back into the unit, it just goes straight into the commander's pocket. And it's not just with the insurance, it's with the, I mean, there's a, there's a huge uh, black market going on with the uh, Javelin rockets, the M4 rifles, and uh, M240 Bravo machine guns, and all the weaponry coming in, they've taken all these and they sell it. They, Have you uh, seen this? Yeah. Yeah, they stole, like, when uh, I was in the Legion, they took, like, 20 Javelin rockets. They took, like, 60 M4s and, like, 20 M240s. Who, who took, uh, took them? The, uh, like, the logistics uh, sergeant major and then the battalion commander. They were both in on it and stuff. They're actually... In Karpatska Sich or...? The Legion. Yeah, in, in the Legion. Were, were they Ukrainians? Yeah, they were Ukrainians, yeah. These weapons then disappear. Some make their way overseas into the hands of terrorists, warlords, traffickers, jihadists and criminals, all courtesy of Western taxpayers. I noticed when I was in Ukraine they have like a lot of military shops and I, I remember one day I'm sitting there thinking, man, uh, these helmets are really nice, you know, those almost look like the American helmets and then what I realized is that all these helmets and body armor and these plate carriers and stuff coming in they get stolen and then sold on the black market to these shops and then the shop makes money off of it too. Nothing, it seems, is taboo for Ukraine, be it open Nazi ideology, war crimes, theft or anything else. Nothing's holy. October 21st, we just got here. We're Remember, this guy took footage of them killing people, right? He's giving the methods. This is interesting. And during the interview, when he talks, he kind of is proud of himself in a way. Um, and he sat there and kind of just watched everything happen. This is where it, get in, it gets interesting. In Donetsk, somewhere in the Donbass. Yeah. In the Donbass, baby. And, uh, oh. That's my friend Aurelio. Hi. <laughs> we just we're staying in this church for now. Uh, it's cold as heck, you know, we got some good food though, so. I actually was watching a documentary the other day of them uh, torturing, I can't remember, they was trying to get him to say some Ukrainian word, and he couldn't say it, so they kept torturing him and stuff like that, because it's funny to them, you know. That's the, it's a hatred, you know, they hate these people. They hate the Russian people. They want to kill them. They want to genocide them. They want to remove them from the land. And America doesn't mind giving them money for this because they know that they can send in companies like Texaco, Chevron Mobile, um, Shell, and so on and so forth to extract all that oil. And then they can send in the American agricultural companies like John Deere and International to make all the money from the agricultural side of it too. There are trillions at stake. Ukraine has already been told that it will have to repay ludicrous sums that the West spent on arms supplies. Ukraine is unlikely to ever be able to do that. What it can't pay in cash, it will have to pay in resources to Western companies. But for John, time has almost run out. I actually had to leave because I had actually planned uh before I left, I had also planned to infiltrate the Azov Battalion and to gain information about their organization as well. But essentially what had happened was I was having a conversation about the war crimes being committed. And uh, even worse than being a spy, I was compromised as a whistleblower. So, uh, which is worse, obviously, because uh, that means a bullet to the back of the head. By, uh, really? Yes, uh, anybody that confesses uh, is 
known to about to confess war crimes, they get shot in the back of the head, you know. Have you, have you seen this? No, I haven't, but uh, a lot of people go missing, you know. A lot of people, they just go missing one day. Including foreigners? Including foreigners, yes. Earlier this month, John packed everything. Papers, documents, maps, and so much more. Everything he had gathered over the year and made his long-planned defection. Essentially, I fled. I went to Odessa. And uh, I actually was, uh, had to call my mom. I'm like, look, these, I'm in too deep. You know, these people, they're about to kill me. And I was really emotional. And luckily, uh, my family was able to scrounge up $300 to send me so I could go to Chisinau. And then from Chisinau, uh, once I'd made contact and everything and got my visa, I went to uh, Istanbul and then to Moscow on a plane. So. It was you? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it was it was nerve wracking. I mean, I, it was um, I had been compromised, you know, and that meant that I was about to be executed. The wealth of information he has provided is already being used by the Russian military and law enforcement, who have lists of war crimes and now even more names to them. There is years of work ahead, but we had one final question for John. A year, after all, is a long time. If you, I mean, they're going to watch this. They're, they're going to see this. Yeah, the, no. people, the people you, you served with. Yeah. What would you say to them? Uh, all's, all's fair in love and war, you know. It is what it is. Spies exist, you know. And I'm a spy. And mission, mission accomplished. <laughs> What's up, boys? Yeah. For the TikTok, baby. <laughs> Yeah, this is awesome. Morad Gazdiev, RT, from Moscow. And they didn't even suspect him of gathering information. I think he went in there to kind of help and then kind of flipped it to maybe spy. Who knows? But the matter of fact is he went in through Istanbul, which means that he obviously went to the U.S. Embassy, which means that we have that too. Or maybe we don't because he doesn't even trust the U.S. government, considering he saw CIA agents. Who knows? But he did say something. He said something about the Asaf Battalion. Now, this is a report from two years ago. This is August 2019 um, video footage you're going to see, and later, that talk about a white supremacist militia in Ukraine. This is before the war. In the blood sports at a festival for far-right extremists. This was the summer of 2019, and I'd gone to Ukraine to learn more about these groups. From the crowds, one thing seemed pretty clear about them. They weren't bothered by the fact that this event was organized by the Azov movement, a far-right group that has increasingly been linked to violence around the world. The shooter is linked to a 74-page manifesto filled with white supremacist rhetoric. FBI agents say he expressed a desire to travel to Ukraine to fight with a far-right paramilitary group. At least one member of an American hate group also trained in Ukraine with Azov Battalion. According to the FBI, domestic terrorists killed 39 people in fiscal year 2019, making it the most deadly year for domestic terrorism since the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing. 
The threat of white nationalism has evolved since Oklahoma City, where a domestic terrorist used a truck bomb to kill at least 168 people. Police don't tend to see such terrorists as lone wolves acting in isolation anymore. It's become clear to law enforcement that these attackers often have links to a global network, one with common goals and a shared ideology. We are looking very hard at the white supremacists or neo-Nazis here, uh, connecting through social media online with like-minded individuals overseas, uh, and in some cases actually traveling overseas to train. Over the last few years, experts in violent extremism have grown especially alarmed about the Azov movement. The group emerged from the revolution that swept across Ukraine in 2014, uh, and it has gotten a lot stronger amid the ongoing war with pro-Russian forces in eastern Ukraine. The fighting in that region has become kind of ideal breeding ground for militias like Azov. At their public events, one thing that surprised me was how many Ukrainians tend to see Azov not as militants or extremists, but as war heroes. In Kiev, the capital, I watched an Independence Day parade where veterans of the Azov Battalion marched alongside other volunteer militias surrounded by cheering crowds who thanked them for defending Ukraine against Russia. But even at the march, there were signs of the far-right ideology that's so common inside Azov. The symbols on their flags have been especially controversial. Azov says it combines the letters I and N for idea of nation, but extremism experts see it as an emblem of Nazism. The official symbol of Azov, it's a version of Wolfsangel. It was one of the um, symbols of one of uh, SS division during the World War II. It is one of uh, more or less usual symbols for neo-Nazi groups all over the world. And it's not just about their symbols. When it was founded in 2014, Azov drew many of its commanders and recruits from Ukraine's most notorious far-right groups, including outright neo-Nazis. About uh, the great Germany before, you know, in the 1920s, is, uh, is a revival of the um, Indo-European soul. Mm -hmm. And it's all happening here in Ukraine. Afterward, we rode back to the Azov base in northern Kyiv, where Azov commanders had allowed Robin to stay as a potential recruit. We are Aryans, and we will rise again. That's, that's, a, that's a way of uh, life, you know. Um, and after the war in Germany, we went back to the benches, uh, school benches, but now he will rise again. Are they neo-Nazis as an organization? No. Have they had neo-Nazis in their organization? I would say look at the U.S. Army and you would find neo-Nazis as well. Dave is an American expat and U.S. military veteran who has volunteered to help Ukraine's National Guard. And he's met a lot of the recruits who'd come to join Azov. You only need one of these guys to kind of go home and, and uh, commit an act of terrorism to then really damage the reputation of, of Ukraine uh, in, in the, eyes, in the yeah. eyes of the world, right? So, that, I mean, that's really a risk that Ukraine faces. Do you think they're taking it seriously enough? No, yes. A few weeks later, Robin, the Swede I met at that festival, wrote me that he was going to the front lines to join the fight. With recruits like this, it's little wonder that U.S. officials see Azov as a threat. Experts point out that the pace of white supremacist terrorism has intensified, with new incidents frequently filling the headlines. 22 gunned down at a Walmart in El Paso, Texas. Two so in other words, the left is supporting Nazis now? I mean, that would be beautiful to just watch them lose their mind. But the whole reason this is happening is for a simple reason. Artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence can 
animate still things and make them look real. One thing you should ask yourself, and someone on Twitter actually said it, how much of the stuff that we've seen is actually real and how much of it is not? Well, my friends, that's why I always say, enjoy the show. Because the show you've been watching, you've also been participating. We'll talk about that tomorrow. Startup DID is shaking up the digital media and entertainment landscape, one photo and video at a time. We want to uh, basically insert to this world uh, the magic of AI. DID was started by Gil Perry, Cella Blontheim, and Eliron Kuta in 2017 as a security and video anonymization solution, developing a system that can detect faces and remove identifying features. As the company grew, so did their drive to push innovation. We basically realized that there is going to be a huge disruption in the media and entertainment market. The next disruption is going to be about how media is being uh, created. And the answer is using a AI. DID has created a set of digital reenactment tools. Live Portrait brings still photos to life, from a wink to singing. And in a project that went viral, DID teamed up with genealogy platform MyHeritage to create Deep Nostalgia, where users can upload family photos and receive animated videos of their loved ones. Since its launch in February, over 90 million photos have been uploaded and animated. Behind the scenes, we have driver videos. It's basically actors which are doing these movements. And once our algorithm receives as an input a still image, our algorithms basically know how to transform the landmarks, dots, on the face of the still image to move and act like the dots of the driver videos. People really, really being happy, being able to see their loved ones. Uh, some, many of them don't have even videos of these uh, people. And suddenly they see them uh, come to life. The company has been approached to expand the application into museums and educational institutions where artworks or their creators can make the works interactive. In 1946, I gave this painting to my friends, Lina and Arkady Boydner. A second tool, Facelit, can alter facial expressions by changing attributes, such as eyebrows or smiles. And a third tool, Talking Heads, can transform text or audio into videos of people talking. It can even replace uh, Zoom calls. If you don't want to open your video, you can just turn it off, choose your better self. We are working with the companies to develop and deploy news anchors. So imagine uh, news aggregators, they can choose which reporter they want to present. And basically, the reporter can now present endless amount of uh, articles. DID's tools have been applied in projects from NFTs to social media to movie trailers, like the one for the new Warner Brothers film, Reminiscence. It really made sense uh, to use our solution. The story there is that uh, you are basically connecting with people from the, your past, etc. You'll have this, what we call, creative reality experience and that someone who watches the commercial can basically upload uh, a photo of yourself. And the output will be that uh, you are part of the trailer, participating with uh, Hugh Jackman. And DID aims to become the first company to create full, high-quality video production using AI. 
But in a world where AI is also being used to create deep fakes of false events or artificially placing people in situations without their consent, DID is taking steps to ensure the technology isn't being used for the wrong reasons. We understood we can enter this space and affect everyone, use all our knowledge from the privacy world, the top VCs and uh, privacy experts. These strong uh, names and people are there to help us make sure we are taking the technology to the right direction. Jesse Satin, I-24 News. So everything that you can see it can be fake. So now people can have revenge porn with your face on it. Or maybe your TV anchors like Don Lemon. Oh, isn't Don Lemon? Dude, there's just things that I'm just spit, spitballing here. AI isn't new. It's been here. And it's just, you know, everything you see is just lies, lies, and lies. Therefore, I'll leave you with the song, Lies, Lies, and More Lies. Good night. That was stolen from us. It was a landslide election, and everyone knows it. You and I saw it with our own eyes. We spread a web of lies, and the whole world saw it with our own eyes. This was a fraudulent election. Lies, 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 fake news. You and I saw it with our own eyes. Lies, 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 fake news. We're going to walk down Pennsylvania Avenue. But they fail. And this day, remember, we must make sure that such attack never, ever happens. They fail. Reaching the Capitol, American flags on poles being used as weapons. We're going to have somebody in there that should not be in there, and our country will be destroyed. Our country has had enough. We will not take it anymore. They failed. He can't accept he lost.